This is Sean Six from the Liquid Conversations, and I'm here with Miles Kennedy. And you know what? I would love to say Alter Bridge from the Conspirators, but you pretty much do it all, don't you? Well, I try to stay busy. <laughs> I try to stay out of jail. Uh, yeah, I, I, I just, uh, as life has turned out for me, I guess as far as my career goes, somehow I ended up in these these entities that uh, have had, an, ha- had enough success to continue to do it, and which is a real... Um, trip for me because I was always brought up to believe that if you wanted to be a recording artist, your chances were pretty slim of having one thing be successful to, you know, continue, let alone, you know, a few. So yeah, I, it, I'm, I feel very fortunate. Well, you know, speaking upon that, you're saying that you feel fortunate and, and I guess I can appreciate that. Uh, has there been moments over your professional career where you've just said, uh, I can't believe I'm doing this? Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, um, it was always baby steps for me and I, w- I was taught to have a very realistic expectation, uh, about how life would turn out. So this was not on my radar and it just seemed, it, it just seemed out of reach, especially, you know, after I moved to the Pacific Northwest and we lived kind of initially in kind of a rural area and, um, till we moved closer to town. And so, yeah, it just, it just seemed far removed, a whole world that just didn't seem possible to achieve. But I've always, I think because my, my work ethic and my obsessive nature to kind of try and excel at something and, and get, and get, uh, get, I guess, better at things, uh, somehow way has led to way and doors opened up that allowed me to, you know, step into, you know, becoming a recording artist on an, on a, I guess a worldwide level. So it's, it's been a good run. You know, that's a pretty good testament to, I like how, I like how you just say, you know, your work ethic, because we have a lot of people now that say, you know, the youth of today doesn't have the work ethic. They have this, you know, technological skill. I mean, I have kids, oh my God, the stuff that they can do on the computer and the cell phone. I'm like, how did you do that? Right. And and I think that I'm a fairly learned person where I could possibly figure that out. But now, you know, my, my 15 year old is like, yeah, you know, just forget it, dad. You, you, you can't do this. But (laughs) you know, I was also, I was brought up the same way that you were. I was brought up in a rural area where, you know, the work ethic really was kind of like your lead into the world. Uh, if you worked hard, you could actually get somewhere with it. And it might not come real quick, but if you kind of hold your nose to the grindstone, kind of, so to speak, then you're, yeah, you're going to get somewhere. And and you saying something like that about how you didn't think that your life was going to be like this because it wasn't on your radar. And now all of a sudden, you know, you're playing stages in front of thousands of people, you know, all over the planet. Yeah. You know, you paid your dues, so to speak. Yeah. And I think that's, I always bring up the 10,000 hour rule. I think it's Mac, Malcolm Gladwell. I think that he wrote a book called Outliers. And and I, I, I that was really important hearing that. The idea that people who generally excel at a certain, in, the, in a certain field have, have invested at least 10,000 hours into that, that realm. And, and I think there's something to be said about that. Because, you know, I look back on the people that I came up the ranks with who were naturally way more talented than I was, but for whatever reason, the, there was a, diff, a, a difference in the focus and okay. maybe just, <clears throat> frankly, just to be totally honest, a difference in the, I'm, I'm almost obsessive to a fault when I decide I want to do something and whatever it is, I've always been that way. My little brothers, he's the same way. It's kind of in our DNA. My mom's brother, he's that way. I mean, like it's in kind of in my family. <laughs> it okay. just, you know, it just, it's, it's there. And, and so, you know, 
I guess I'm kind of a, a testament to the idea. It's what is that story like the um, the tortoise and the hare? You know, the one that just keeps that steady just keeps going. It just doesn't stop. And, and that was, that was kind of how it worked out for me where I just didn't know when to quit. And somehow it all ended up working out. You know, the music industry is obviously one of those places where, you know, if you think it's going to come easy, then you're in for a rude awakening. Uh, right. It's just not that type of life uh, creatively or professionally. It it literally will chew up some of the most talented people in the world and some of the people that you don't think, you know, and, and I don't want to have the sound crass or, or you know, uh, too stuck up or whatever. But, you know, when you have these people that are substandard as far as their ability and they become these massive, you know, entities in the music world, you're like, how in the hell did that happen? So, yeah, you know, I, I totally get that, uh, you know, and, and those are great references because I'm looking over the amount of work that you've done, whether it be guitar instructor, uh, you've been in multiple bands, you've done session work, you've, you know, guest on a bunch of different artists' albums and, you know, collaborations. You've played with some of the most well-known guitarists on the planet. Yeah, there's a lot there. So I think when you say, well, I didn't really expect it, but um, I'm definitely not shying away from the hard work to keep it. You know, I, I think that says a lot about you you not only as a person, but also as an artist. I appreciate that. I mean, I think that um, a lot of it is just, I don't know what else I would do. You know, I'm, I'm kind of in this interesting, like I've been doing it for a long time. At a, I'm at a certain age where it's, it's, it's not, you know, I don't do it at this point for some sort of financial gain. I don't, it's really more about the, the love of the game and the need to keep creating. I mean, I, I really, you know, it's funny, like I was obsessed for a long time with, the idea of, you know, what if this were to end and would I be able to, what would I do next and blah, 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 blah. And then once I realized that I, you know, I'd had enough, um, for lack of, it was like supporters, like fans, people who are into the things I was involved with that where I might be able to do this and ride off into the sunset and keep doing it, you know? And that was a, that was a really liberating, wonderful feeling, a wonderful epiphany. But with that said, um, yeah, I don't ever really, I, I can't, I can't seem to slow down. Um, I just, because I love create, it's just the, it's the creative process. That's when I feel most alive. You know, right now I'm kind of, I'm, I won't bring up the artist, but I'm co-writing some songs for a different artist. And I just, even though I probably should be preparing for my, my, you know, I've got this record coming out and I've got plenty to do there, lots of press and, you know, rehearse and blah, blah, blah. But I, but the creative thing is so important to me and I love it so much that when the phone rings, I'm just like, yeah, I'm going to, I'll do whatever, <laughs> you know, cause I, I it just, it just, that's when I feel most alive. I'm glad that you said that because that's really where I was going to go next is that you have this new solo album coming out, the eyes of March coming out on May 14th. It's on Napalm Records. Records. And by the way, congratulations. It's phenomenal. I love the solo stuff that you're doing. Not that I don't like, you know, the stuff that you do with Alter Bridge or the stuff that, you know, you've done with Slash with the conspirators and so on and so forth. But I personally think that your solo stuff really seems like that's your wheelhouse. Like the, that's where you feel like you can be the most fluid as far as that creative drive that you have where you don't know when to stop. Like uh, th this is really where Miles is really starting to come to the 
surface. Yeah, that's great. I appreciate hearing that. I, I mean, I, I do feel like out of everything that I do, this, this is probably the most, it is the best representation of where I come from creatively. And as an artist, it is an amalgamation of all the things that I listen to and, and love. And though I love hard rock and riff based rock, I also love a lot of things that are, that are not that. So I'm able to bring that into the fold with these solo records. And, and also I, I can really stretch out as a guitar player, which, which as, since I started as a guitar player, that's, that's a ton of fun. Right. I mean, well, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, I suppose that as a guitar player it might be slightly daunting when you play with the likes of, you know, Mark Tremonti and, and Slash. I mean, yeah, but so would you consider yourself more of a guitar player or more of a songwriter? or a creator instead of just the musician part? I, pro I probably say more of a songwriter. I mean, I think that what's interesting about my story is I did start strictly as a guitar player. So I had a lot of that under my belt because I was, I was kind of a studied, I mean, I went to school for it and I was doing session work. And so when you do session work, you have to be really versatile and, and it's, it's a man, you, they throw you into the deep end, you know, and it's like, you walk into a session, like, we need a country part here. Or we throw it, go on, go into a session. We need some Latin here. And we, you know, so you learn to be, be adapt and, and, and all that. But for me, it was when I decided, interestingly enough, I decided to really focus on the songwriting after I felt like I'd hit a certain point as a guitar player. And it was the same afternoon I, I did a guitar competition and somehow I ended up winning the guitar competition. And, and, and I remember telling my friend, I was like, you know, now that I've experienced that and it worked hard and gotten to a certain level, I'm done. I, I'm kind of done. <laughs> it was interesting. It was, that was a really important, we were on our way to pizza hut <laughs> and, and I remember telling him and I was like, I'm going to focus on songwriting from here on out. And that was, that was really the beginning of that journey. And that's when I had to really start to focus more on singing to help facilitate that. And so that was a, that was an important moment in the journey for sure. I love that because when you have those moments in life where you, you think you start out as something and then all of a sudden you're like, nah, it's going pretty good, but I might just dabble over here. And it turns out to be, you know, you didn't realize that you were going to be that inclined to it and and looking at this album and you're the tiger yeah you can see that you can see those influences i i love the fact that you have background in jazz i i think that that really kind of lends an interesting level to the stuff that you you know doing in the hard rock world uh because you know there's a lot of complexity to that and if you hear some of these guitar riffs and you know how songs are crafted in the hard rock world and you think about okay well well, you know, there's a jazz influence there and things can get pretty wild pretty quick. You know, that's kind of an interesting aspect. And I don't think a lot of people think of that when they think of hard rock or metal or something along those lines. They don't really necessarily see that the jazz can play an influence on it or actually make it more complex, make it more rich. It's for me, it's a massive, you know, source of like for, for vocal, for, especially vocally, you know, a lot of my inflections, a lot of things I do come from listening to artists like Ella Fitzgerald, even, you know, obviously that's really far removed from, from hard rock, but I, you know what, I, it's the same. I look at the way I approach that and how I borrow from some of those jazz artists and then bring it into rock the same way that a guy like John, and I'm not saying I'm on the same level by any means, but I'm saying that like a John Bonham, what people don't realize part, part, part of the reason that his pocket was so heavy is and it was it was this way for a lot of drummers in particular in the late 60s early 70s is those guys came up listening 
to guys like Buddy Rich, Krupa, a lot of the big band drummers. And that was in their musical DNA. It was essentially the swinging, you know, it was that idea of, of, of that dotted eighth note. And that was such a part of their DNA that when they went to play the straight eighth note, you know, in rock, it's very straight as opposed to da, 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 da. It's like, da, da, you know, it's, 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 it's more, um, it's a, it's a straight eighth and that not to get too technical, but anyway, you can still feel that interesting component that had, that was just in their DNA from listening to big band. And, and that's, that's what a lot of people miss. I feel like, like I've talked with contemporary drummers about this and they, they feel the same way. They're like a lot of younger people miss out on the, uh, miss out on that jazz, that jazz language and how that informed the the first uh, round of of heavy metal and hard rock drummers that was a big thing and I and I so I look at it the same way as a singer where I try to pull from pull from drink from the same pool because to me you know what was happening in the in the forties and fifties and sixties with with jazz with the jazz movement was such you know oh I mean it's just amazing you know it was just an amazing time and such an amazing time for the art form. I wanted to talk about one of the songs off your new album, Get Along. I know you just uh, released a, a video for it, and it's kind of interesting because, to be perfectly honest, I didn't expect it. I didn't expect the lyrics in it, and I know that you're, you know, very passionate about the environment and about, you know, ethical treatments of animals, and and but I guess I thought that the song was going to be something different, and then the more I listened to it, I'm like, you know, it's very pertinent to what's going on. Obviously, you know, we have, you know, I mean, we have to acknowledge it. There's a major global pandemic going on that's literally shut the world down and it's made things very weird not only for artists not being able to tour not being able to conduct their business like they normally do but for you know restaurants and people that work in office buildings and people are out of work but you know our environment's kind of weird uh, we get definitely you know uh, you know the polar ice caps are melting um, you know animals are dying because rainforests are getting turned into you know paper uh, there's all kinds of stuff going on when you created the song was it something that was a very forefront in your conscious that you wanted to write this or did it just happen to just fluidly come out yeah it was one of those songs that happened i remember sitting down in my living room with an acoustic guitar and that the phrase why can't we all just get along it just yeah, that was the hook it just came out so i was trying to figure out how to approach that narrative and all I could do was initially in the first verse r- recall what it was like. And keep in mind, the song was written, I think, in April of last year. So this was before all the everything got really heated in the summer here in the states with protests. And it was it so it was inspired by what what happened with Rodney King and 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 the and the riots in L.A. And what I was trying to do the, from that use that as the springboard that then to launch into the idea of kind of bring it into modern times of the need for unity and, and tolerance and, and so many things that are challenging right now because of how polarized we are. And, and so, yeah, I mean, that, that song is, is especially after last summer, then it took, definitely took on a, a new meaning uh, and a new, new kind of relevance. And to be perfectly honest, as I was writing the song, I didn't even know if it would resonate given that the genesis of it came from something that had happened 
nearly 30 years ago, but little did I know that uh, I would be mistaken. It's strange how, you know, you, you write about something from Rodney King, and then obviously we have something that happens like George Floyd. And, you know, I'm a believer that I think things have a tendency to, you know, if we don't correct them when they initially happen, they'll just keep coming back to haunt us over and over and over again. And it seems like that's where we are. So I, you know, I, I can understand that where, you know, you're like, well, you know, is this really going to, is it going to touch upon the minds of people who weren't even alive at that point when Rodney King happened? But, you know, it's relative. It's, it's still happening. So. I, yeah. I, you know, I applaud you on the, I applaud you on the, you know, the, the spark, the, the thesis behind the song, because it really does resonate on a lot of different levels. So I, I think it's amazing that you put it on the album. Oh, I, I appreciate that. I really do. I mean, I wasn't sure. You know, it's one of those things where, especially after last summer happened, I was I little, I was a little concerned that it might be too much of a hot button subject at that point. And interestingly, the thing with me is I'm, I don't really like conflict and I'm not really one of those artists who, you know, I don't, I don't like making political records I don't it, it's tricky with me but but I also write about things that I do feel passionate about but I try to keep it ambiguous to a point and time and I'll write it in a way where it can apply to different scenarios and I think with that said you know it was I had to get over that that initial concern once all that stuff happened and just be like you know this is going to continue to go on and and it is something I do feel passionate about that we we need to to find a, a, a better understanding of each other and we need to unify and, and we need to bring tolerance into the equation a little more. We Look, at the end of the day, I feel like as humans, we still have a long ways to go, myself included. I, I have a long way to go. You know, it's just, it's an ongoing thing. And, and hopefully as time goes on, we will, we will evolve uh, individually as well as, as a society. I a hundred percent agree. And you were born in Boston. I'm here in Boston. You actually have a connection with a, a, a well-known Boston person, uh, a Mr. Mark Wahlberg, um, because obviously <laughs> you were you were in a movie with him uh, quite a few years ago. I wanted to ask you a question: If you were offered another opportunity to be in a, a movie with Mark, would you take it? Well, uh, wow. I you know I think if if it were if it were a part, I feel like I could play and and do it at a, at, a, at a level where you know it would it would be believable <laughs> maybe I mean I don't really consider myself an actor what's funny about the the only acting gig I ever had which was with Mark and Rockstar is I honestly wasn't acting I was just the elation and the kind of child the uh, the overall exuberance that you're seeing was completely legit because you got to look at I'm at this point living in Spokane I'm in suddenly in this big Hollywood production I'm standing in front of Mark Wall they're all the musicians involved are guys I'm fans of so I'm literally just freaking out and so you know if it were if it were something look I'm not an actor naturally I, I was just kind of the guy like I said the guy you see was just <laughs> thrilled to be there and somehow it worked in the context of the film right uh well I, hopefully it did but 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 it but yeah, if it were if it were another part with Mark, I'll tell you this. I will tell you. I don't know if I ever brought this up, but I did get the sense, you know, that maybe he, you know, he was aware of the fact that I hadn't acted before, and I think he he wanted the scene to turn out 
appropriately. So that that was something that definitely weighed on me. I didn't want to let him down and I didn't want to let the director down. And, and so I definitely did the best that I could because I was I had just seen him, a, you know, a year or two prior in Boogie Nights. And I was so impressed with his performance in that. And I told him as we that was the last time I ever saw him as we were, you know, I was I was done shooting my part and I thanked him for being so cool and letting me be involved. And, and I told him, I just said, I just think you're a really talented actor. And, and, uh, you know, it, it was just, it was one of those experiences where you're, you, you're brought into the fold. I think they initially brought me in cause they wanted someone who could sing the part as well. And, and so I didn't want to let everybody down. I did the best, I did the best I could. And so if, if something came up along, there's a long answer to your question. If something came up where I feel like I wouldn't let people down, I would certainly consider it. I think it's great because obviously Mark radiates Boston, uh, mm-hmm. without question. And you being born here, you know, I, I think it's, it was kind of a, an ironic thing how you ended up at the end of the movie you know, taking over for him. Uh, when I first saw the movie and, and knew that it was you in the movie, I was like, this is craziness. I'm like, you know, uh, Miles was born here in Boston. You know, Mark is from Dorchester. Uh, like, this is, you know, absolutely nuts that how it worked out like that. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, I can understand that. You know, you didn't want to let anybody down. And yeah, you know, you know, you got Bonham in the movie. You literally have people in the movie that you would be a fan of. So yeah, it'd be kind of like, that's your 16-year-old kid going, I can't believe I'm doing this. I can't believe I just met some of these people. Oh my God. So I completely got that. It was crazy. <laughs> it was nuts. But uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm really grateful for it. And like I said, they were all really cool to me and they kind of walked me through the process. You know, they they, they understood what was up and, and they helped make it a good experience. Miles, I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, again, congrats on the new album, The Eyes of March. It's a very good testament to the complexity that is Miles Kennedy, the influences that are behind Miles Kennedy, not just you singing and playing guitar for Alter Bridge or with Slash and the Conspirators. And yeah, so, you know, I, I give you 100% props on it. So, yeah. Oh, man. Thank you, Sean. Appreciate that. It means a lot. It really does. Well, hopefully uh, in the near future, uh, if you're back here in the Boston area, uh, look forward to seeing you up on the stage again when we can all, you know, kind of get out from our little cocoons. And um, I refer to it as we've all been grounded. We're, we're <laughs> teenagers right now. We got we got in trouble and somebody's us <laughs> and we have to stay inside for the entire summer. So, uh, but hopefully we can see everybody back out on the stage and out on the road again. And uh, when you get a chance to come back through Boston, um, let's keep in touch and we can sit down and maybe do it in person. Definitely. Thank you, Sean. Thanks for your time, man. The Liquid Conversations podcast is brought to you by Dirtbag Clothing. Wear it till it stinks.